You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and to once again look at another doctrine that follows so closely behind the doctrines of grace and uh, help us to understand this magnificent doctrine that we call sanctification. As we look into your word and as we read your word and study it, we ask that you would illuminate our hearts. Help us to understand and be the teacher here tonight, Father. Uh, it's you and your spirit that really do the teaching. I'm only communicating these truths, but it's you who gives that understanding. And so once again tonight, we implore you to please help us. And uh, help me to communicate it clearly and accurately and concisely. And we know that when uh, a man will proclaim and preach and teach God's word uh, accurately, that they will hear the voice of God in a sense. And so we thank you for this time and pray you bless it. We ask this in Christ's most precious and dearest name. Amen. Well, friends, following right behind the doctrines of grace, what is really kind of a byproduct of the doctrines of grace is the doctrine of sanctification. And it follows very closely and tied together. And because of that, I decided as I was really praying about which direction to go next, Go ahead and let's take a close look for an evening on this great doctrine of sanctification. So I want to begin by proposing this question. What is sanctification? We hear about that. I think everybody in the room tonight has heard this word, sanctification. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, this word sanctification is an interesting word, and it comes from the Greek word hagiosmos, which literally means a setting apart or a separation. A setting apart or a separation. Now the word implies the state of grace not inherent in its subject, but the result of an outside action. The word implies that we are set apart or set aside, and it's done so by an outside action. Therefore, the dominant idea of sanctification is separation from sin and the unredeemed world. In other words, to be set aside and apart from sin and the unredeemed world in which we came. And setting apart for a sacred purpose by someone else. Thus, very important, only those in Christ that are regenerated or born-again believers are sanctified. Outside of Christ, you are not sanctified. In Christ Jesus and regenerated, born-again, you are sanctified. Now, the words which are synonymous in Scripture with the word sanctification are the following. Sanctify, sanctified, holy, holiness, and consecrated. 
Now these words, beloved, are used interchangeably throughout the Scriptures. Carrying the same meaning as sanctification. So all of the words that are synonymous with sanctification, they carry the same exact meaning of sanctification. Again, a setting apart or a separation. Now, there are four aspects of sanctification. Four aspects of this doctrine, of this position, and those are what I want to look at tonight. I want to show you the four aspects of sanctification. So you've got an outline there. The first one that I want you to notice in your outline is sanctification promised. Jump over to John chapter 17, verse 17, please. John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, this was the night before he was betrayed. This is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, interceding to the Father on his behalf and our behalf. And in John chapter 17, verse 17, our blessed Savior said this, speaking to the Father, sanctify them by your word. You see that? The them that he is talking about are the true believers, are his sheep. It's the regenerated, the people that are born again, the people who are sanctified, the people who have embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, true believers in Christ. Sanctify them, Jesus is saying, to his Father by your word. Now, sanctification is the continuing work of God in the life of a believer, making him or her actually holy. Now, I don't mean holy in the terms of being pious. Holy meaning set aside, set apart. So let me repeat that. Sanctification is the continuing work of God in the life of a believer, making him or her actually holy, set aside. Now, by holy meaning also bearing an actual likeness to Christ, being conformed to his image. Now, we have been in this passage for a lengthy time, but we need to go right back to it and see what Romans chapter 8, please, verse 29 says. Romans 8, verse 29. Paul had something to say once again in this passage about being sanctified, being conformed to the image of Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. I'll wait till everybody's there. Everybody there? Romans 8, 29. Look with me. For whom he, speaking of God, for whom God foreknew, God also predestined to be, here it is, conformed to the image of his Son. Now, friends, that predestined conformity to his image is through the process of sanctification. 
This is why it's so important to bring in sanctification where we are because it is an absolute byproduct that follows directly behind the doctrines of grace and ties that believer once again to the work of the Father. So suffice it to say that sanctification is the process by which one's moral condition is brought into conformity with that of Christ's character. Let me repeat that. Suffice it to say that sanctification is the process by which one's moral condition is brought into conformity and that of Christ's character. Now, it's a continuation of what began in regeneration when a new life of the believer was wrought by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a continuation. It begins at regeneration. It begins at being born again. And it continues on and on that process throughout the life of the believer. Have you any of you ever heard the term progressive sanctification? Progressive sanctification is the term meaning it's continual. It isn't a one-time thing that takes place and now you're sanctified. You are sanctified when you were born again, but you continue to be further sanctified, further conformed into the image of Christ. That's why the process of a believer is never complete until the day the Lord takes him home. And thank God for that. Thank God that he isn't done with me. Ask Lori. She is so grateful that he is still sanctifying me, conforming the image of his son. So that's a process that begins and continues in the life of the believer at regeneration until he breathes his last breath. Sanctification in this sense is something that occurs at the very beginning of the Christian life, at the point of being born again, and continues throughout the life of all believers. Constant, continued process. In short, it's the process of making the believer holy. The process of making the believer holy. So, loved ones, God calls every Christian to mirror and reflect his holy character. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me flush this out and let you see it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Peter talks about this. Peter is the one who said that God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You hear me pray that. You hear me say that often. That has been embedded and cemented in my mind ever since I came to faith in Christ, that it was God who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter said that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But look what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, speaking to the believer. He says in verse 15, well, let's go to verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, 
and rest your hope fully upon, look what he says, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. God is holy. He is separated from anybody. That's what holy means. Separated. But we are called to be holy like God is holy. Separated from what? The world. The world. The lust of the flesh. The pride of life. The love of the world is what? Enmity with God. We are called to come out from among them, right? Be separated, Paul said in 1 Corinthians. That's what it means to be holy. But the problem is, in and of ourselves, <laughs> we're not holy. That's the truth of the matter. In and of ourselves, we're not holy. Whether we like it or not, we are unholy. Yet the Bible refers to us as saints. Did you know that? We are saints in here. Do you know what that word means? The word saint? It means to be holy, set apart. One who is sanctified. That's what the term saint means. One who is holy, one who is saint sanctified. It isn't as the Roman Catholic Church teaches that you are a saint because you live this pious, holy life. You're a saint because you've been sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ. A believer in Jesus Christ is a saint. That's why Paul often says to the saints, to the saints that are in Ephesus, to the saints who are here or there, all of us in this room are saints. The problem is we need to be more holy and made holy. We need to be sanctified more and more but friends since holiness is not found in us we must be made holy and the one who makes us holy and to conform us to the image of christ is who who god the holy spirit god's spirit we can't make ourselves holy we need help we're going to see in a minute though there's a process here the one who makes us holy, the one who makes us conform to the image of Christ, the one who has set us apart is the very one who's going to make us holy. Now, it is the special work of the Holy Spirit to make us saints and to sanctify us. Thus, to be sanctified, again, is to be made holy. And I want you to try to always remember when you hear that word holy, do not think be, I'm talking about being pious. Pastor Jim talks about holy. It's not being pious. When Scripture talks about being a saint and holy and sanctified and, and sanctification, it means to be set apart, separated from something. And in order to do that, there's a process. That process begins with the triune God. So friends, when it comes to our regeneration... It's the work of the triune God alone, right? We have seen that throughout our study of the doctrines of grace. 
We see it in foreknowledge. We saw it in predestination. We saw it in election. We saw it when we're called. And we see it now when, we're, when we are preserved for eternity. It's all the work of God alone, right? No one else. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But friends, we do not assist, we do not assist the Holy Spirit one iota in our regeneration. But I got a butt coming. Now, in fact, let me say this before I go there. We outright reject any notion of human effort in our regeneration. Yes, we reject any notion of that, right? Okay. We had not one iota to do with it, right? All God. On the other hand, sanctification is a little bit different. You might look at me and go, okay. Sanctification is a little bit different. Our sanctification is a cooperative venture. The believer must work in conjunction with the Holy Spirit to grow in sanctification. Now let me show you a great text that proves that. Turn over to Philippians chapter 1. No, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. A great passage. And while you're turning to Ephesians chapter 2, we want to look at verses 12 and 13. I want to remind you what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And as you turn there, Paul said this, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Yes? Okay, what is the good work that he began in you? Your salvation. But your salvation also includes your sanctification. Now look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Very familiar, I bet, to all of us. Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Beloved, in a sense, we work out our sanctification with fear and trembling, meaning with reverence coupled to God's will. And God's agent coupled to us is the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul expresses this process of sanctification superbly right here in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He didn't say work for your salvation. I want you to catch that. Paul said work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. So in other words, the salvation was wrought by God in you, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Philippians 1.6. 
And Paul is saying, okay, now when God has done that for you, you're going to work out what he has worked in. It's called sanctification. Our sanctification, our holiness, is a cooperative effort of the believer and God's Spirit. Can't do it without God's Spirit. It's a cooperative work. We call it sanctification. So we see that sanctification was promised. We see how sanctification is being carried out because it's been promised. Now let's look at point number two, sanctification by God. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with me, would you please? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. I'm going to pick up the context in verse 16. Paul began to end this magnificent letter in verse 16, he said this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Notice what he says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Or, or some of you may have, do not despise teaching. Then Paul says this, Test all things, hold fast what is good, Abstain from every form of evil. And verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Set you aside. Separate you. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. Who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Isn't that good? Sanctification is also a supernatural work of God. Thus, again, only those in Christ that are regenerated and born again are going to have that sanctified work done in them by God. But there are a number of significant differences between regeneration and sanctification. Regeneration is an instantaneous occurrence, friends, completed in one moment. Let me say that again, because I want you to see the distinction here. Regeneration is an instantaneous occurrence, complete in a moment. Sanctification is a process requiring an entire lifetime to be completed. In regeneration, you are either regenerated or not. With sanctification, one may be more or less sanctified. That is, there are degrees of sanctification, but not with regeneration. 
Regeneration is an objective work of someone else, capital S, someone, someone else, affecting our standing before God. Sanctification is a subjective work affecting our inner person before God. Now turn with me so I could flush this out a little further. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And I'm going to stop here for just a second. Did all of that, what I just said to you, those differences make sense? Okay. I, I, I got to be honest. I, one of the things I try to always do is, is try to keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Because it doesn't do us any good if, if what I'm communicating is, is going over all of our heads. All that does is show you how dumb I am. So I want to just make sure that, that you, you saw that. I tried to keep that very simple and how I show the difference is good. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became before, for us wisdom from God and righteousness, and here it is, and sanctification and redemption. Now, notice it says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus. Okay, there's the first thing that took place. You're now in Christ Jesus. That means you were regenerated or born again. Notice that sanctification didn't come at the same time. Notice that sanctification is that process that's taking place later. Who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification being set apart or separated. And redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. I like that. It is a gift of God lest any man should boast. If we're going to glory in anything, let's glorify Christ. Let's exalt the Father because He's the one, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who are responsible for everything that has taken place in regards to our salvation. And then He went to work immediately on our sanctification. Praise God. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1, please. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 21 and 22. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 21 Everybody there? Verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy. See it? Holy. Set apart. Separated. Who has presented you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Do you understand what a blessing this is? Do you know that when we are in Christ Jesus, 
that when God looks at us, he sees us as righteous because of Christ's righteousness. So when we sin and fall short of the glory of God and confess that sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. But do you know that he's not even seeing that sin? He sees what Christ did on our behalf. That blows my mind. Every time I sin against God, I am sick. If I sin against somebody else in that sin, I'm sick and I got to go to those people. I can't rest that night until I get that right. Well, God's not looking at me the same way I'm looking at myself. He's looking at us in Christ Jesus, blameless. Blameless. Hmm. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. We've been here a lot. I love this verse. Second <clears throat> Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. You're going to recognize it. I'm going to drop all the way down to verse 17. It's so rich. Everybody there? Verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren. i got to stop there for a minute. Can you imagine thanking anybody else for someone else's salvation other than God? I, I can't even comprehend that. We're going to always thank God for our salvation and for the salvation of others. By the way, who do we pray to for salvation for others? We pray to God. We don't pray to ourselves or to someone else. Paul says we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. There it is and belief in the truth, to which he called you, by what? Our gospel, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or, or our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation or everlasting comfort and good hope by grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. What a blessed passage that is. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Jim touched on this magnificently. I remember when Jim preached on this passage and I was applauding him in my heart. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Everybody there? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom all things, and by whom all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make captain, uh, captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. 
for both he who sanctified and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Amen. That's us. That's us. The sanctified, the saints, the holy ones of God. Let me take you to one more. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 1, please. Again, we, we've looked at this passage so many times, I, but I can't help but keep going to these great passages. First Peter chapter 1. We're really looking at verse 2, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verses 1 and 2 to you. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. There it is again. Notice who's sanctified. Who's the ones that are sanctified here? Specifically, the elect, the elect. Beloved, nobody outside of Christ is sanctified. Nobody outside of Christ is holy. No one, only God's elect, meaning the born-again believer in Christ. You and I are God's elect. Friends, the aim of this divine working the aim, the purpose of this divine working is likeness to Christ himself. So once again, Romans 8, 29. For those whom God foreknew, God also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Okay, so we see that sanctification is promised. We see that sanctification is by God. Now let's look at sanctification implied. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13, please. Won't it be exciting, too, when we get to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, and our pastor expounds it. Trust me, it'll be a fantastic exposition. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Everybody there? Now, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, stop there. Who's the sheep? Who did I am? Okay. Yeah, right, right, the elect, yeah. Is everyone part of Jesus' sheep? No. That's why I fall on my face before God when I realize that out of the slew of humanity, I am part of his sheep. Hmm. 
and so are you. The shepherd of the sheep, here's how, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The new covenant in Christ is the author speaking of. Make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. Friends, he's talking about being sanctified. He didn't use the word, but he's speaking about being separated by Christ, born again by Christ, and that you are being a work in process through Christ. I love it. May you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom glory forever and ever. Amen. Scriptures right now implying this process of sanctification in the daily life of the believer. And it does that again in numerous places. Here's the what I think is one of the greatest examples, but let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and look at another one where it's implied. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Everybody there? I'm going to begin in verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is, look what it says, holy, sanctified. The temple of God is you and I. Which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. Friends, the temple of God. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is set aside, holy, set apart. Or it could have said sanctified. There it is implied. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, please. We're looking at sanctification implied. Everyone there? Very simple commandment. I say then, Verse 16, Galatians 5, 16, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Beloved, we have a choice we can make as believers in Jesus Christ. We can continue living that sanctified life and walking in the spirit, or we can suppress and quench the spirit, as Paul said, don't do in, in Thessalonians. We can quench that spirit and find ourselves walking in the flesh. Paul's implying that sanctification is walking in the Spirit. Well, one of the strongest passages of Scripture that implies the process of sanctification is found once again in Romans chapter 8. 
Would you turn there with me? Romans chapter 8. And I know I go to this book all the time. But the great apostle Paul taught the doctrine so clearly in Romans. Romans chapter 8. We're going to pick it up in verse 1 and we're going to read to verse 27. Again, we're looking at sanctification implied. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He's beginning to bring the implication of sanctification. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness required of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Here's why. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. Once again, the only people that can be sanctified by the Spirit are believers. The people who are not born again have no other alternative but to be carnally minded and to walk by the flesh. So then, verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, the Spirit of God only dwells in you if you're what? Born again. And that Spirit of God can only sanctify you if you are regenerated, born again. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Everybody catch that? He is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, for whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified. 
and Paul continues on and then very shortly, as you know, launches into the doctrines of grace in verse, starting in verse 28. Friends, Paul says much in this epistle of his about sanctified life. Christians walk, he says, look with me, Christians walk according to the Spirit. Verse 4, he said in verse 5, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In verse 9, he says, they're in the Spirit and the Spirit dwells in them. In verse 13, he said, by the Spirit they put to death the deeds of the body. In verse 14, he says, they're led by the Spirit. In verse 16, he says, the Spirit bears witness that they are children of God. And then in verses 26 and 27, we didn't read them, but it says that the Spirit intercedes for them in prayer. That is the sanctified life of being set apart for God. In summation, it is the Spirit who is at work in the believer bringing about the likeness to Christ. Now one might conclude from all the preceding that sanctification is completely a passive matter on the part of the believer. You might conclude that. But remember what Paul said in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 13, or verses 12 and 13. One might conclude from all that has proceeded here that sanctification is completely a passive matter on the part of the believer. But in bold letters, I said this nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. The believer is constantly exhorted to work and to grow in the matters pertaining to their salvation. I just thought of what 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're to grow in the process of sanctification. Well, look at the fourth point. Notice what I'm ending with. Oh, gosh, 2 Peter 3.18. I didn't even remember my own note. Sanctification in the believer. Go over to 2 Peter, would you please? I know I already quoted it. I forgot I had it in my notes. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. In his second epistle, writing to the folks that were dispersed, Peter said, grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now friends, I need to stress and make something very clear. That you know this, we are not saved by our works. Listen to what I'm going to say. We're saved for works. We're not saved by our works. We're saved for works. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. I, I, I'm going to, I was going to quote it, but I'm, I want you to go there, please. I think it's critical you look at this verse. And notice it's right behind Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9.
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul's following up, making it very clear that you're saved by grace and faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, but it is what? A gift of God. And then he says this, verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, the process of being sanctified, the process of being conformed over and over to the image of Christ is to exalt and glorify God. Now, we exalt and glorify God in many ways, but one of the ways that we can glorify and exalt God is by our good works. Our good works are a byproduct of salvation and sanctification. They're a byproduct. Our works are not for salvation. Our works are because of salvation. Remember what Paul said? Work out your salvation, not work for it. Work out what God has worked in, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Beloved, everything we've looked at, the power of God is not only at work in Christ for us, but it is also the power at work in us. Let me repeat that, and then I'm going to take you there. The power of God is not only at work in Christ for us, but also the power at work in us. Go over to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, please. One of my favorite doxologies. I never understood why Paul's got it at chapter 3 when he's still got 4 and 5 to go, but I love this doxology. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. See that? The power that works in us. God is not only at work in Christ for us, but is also the power at work in us. Now, throughout the New Testament scriptures, this sanctification is an ongoing work within the believer. It's ongoing. That renews them inwardly and conforms them gradually to the image of Christ. But despite our inherent weaknesses, Christ's energies are at work within us by the power of His Spirit. Regardless of our inadequacies and weaknesses, Christ's power is at work in us. Yet believers are called to pursue purity. We're called to pursue holiness. We're called to meditate on these things that are pure, Philippians 4.8. So there's what Christ is doing. There's what God has done. There's what the Holy Spirit is doing. And then there's what we do right alongside of them by their power, by God's grace. The sanctification and the believer. 
The process of sanctification is just that. It is progressive separation from the deeds of the flesh and the pursuit of the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul urges both. The avoidance of evil and the pursuit of godly virtues. And that process is a cooperative work of both the believer and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now it's 8 o'clock. I got a couple more things to touch on. Can can we can we knock it out tonight? Because I got something real exciting for next week. You guys mind? Everybody okay? Let me flush this out now. I'm going to go fast. Go to Romans chapter 12. Very familiar to all of us. And I said to you, the process is a cooperative work of both the believer and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now let's take a look at how that works. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul said this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. See that? separated acceptable to God which is your reasonable service or some of you might have worship your reasonable worship and then Paul says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that is what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God your sanctification turn to Romans chapter 12 verses 9 through 17 I'm really going to go fast here. If I go too fast, tell me, slow down. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfast in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints, the separated ones, the holy ones, given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on the high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. All of that is the process that comes out in sanctification. That's how we are to live our lives when we are born again believers in Christ and as God continues through his spirit and the Lord to sanctify us. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. And what's interesting, we've never been to this verse. Everybody there? Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. Second Corinthians seven one. Everybody there? Therefore, 
Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Look what it says. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Or some of you might have completing holiness in the fear of God. The meaning's the same. Perfecting holiness, Paul says. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through 24. Everybody there? Ephesians 4. Chapter 4, verse 20 through 24. But you have not learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness, and look what it says, and holiness. In holiness. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, please. Scripture has a lot to say about the believer being sanctified and being a part of that process. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, implicating that we are to live a sanctified life. Put these things away. Turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, please. I can't be. There's no chapter 4. <laughs> chapter 3? Disregard that. Typographical error, and I'll have to go back and find it this week. Friends, in short, the sanctified life of the believer is a crucified life. Let me repeat that. The sanctified life of a believer is a crucified life. Now, my life verse is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is talking about his crucified life. That's what the sanctified life of a believer is. It is a crucified life. It is surrendering and yielding your will to the Father. Now in closing, one major issue over which there has been disagreement throughout church history is whether the process of sanctification is ever completed within the life of the believer here on this earth. There's been a lot of debate about that. 
Do we come to a point where we no longer sin? Now, there are sharp differences of opinion upon that matter. There really is. Those who answer the question in the affirmative, the perfectionists, they're called, hold that it is possible to come to a state where the believer does not sin. One of their supporting texts is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says to his listeners in Matthew 5.48, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. No less earnest regarding their convictions are those who maintain that perfection is an ideal which will never be attained within this life. I'm one of these people who believes this. I don't believe there's such a thing as a perfected life, a sinless life. I maintain that as much as we should desire and strive after complete deliverance from sin, sinlessness is simply not a realistic goal for a life, or for this life, I should say. One of the supporting texts is 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10. Would you turn there real quick? I felt that I had an obligation to bring this to your attention, that there are people who believe this. First John chapter one, verses eight through 10. Tell me when you're all there. Good to go. Melody, good to go. Yep. Go, Sandy. First John chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I'm just going to drop down. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. I'm not going to try to convince you. I want you to study this on your own, this one issue. I believe, standing before you tonight, that there's not a man or a woman who is a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who ever comes to a point in their life where they are living sinless perfection, that they can't sin anymore. I don't believe that's true. I gave you a verse that presents that. There are those that believe, yes, you can. You can become so holy, so sanctified that a point can come in your life where you no longer sin. And we call them perfectionists. And they are people out there in Christendom who believe this. I'm not one. Now, I'm going to give you a very big argument. I'm not going to go there just because of time. Another supporting passage to my view would be Romans chapter 7. You know what Paul said in Romans chapter 7? Let me just read you two verses. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 19. Paul states this powerfully. He says, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present in me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, Excuse me, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. And in that chapter, he says, O wretched man that I am, 
He also said early on in his ministry that he was the least amongst the brethren when he was ready to die and lose his life. He says, you know what? I'm the chief sinner. Now, I'll tell you something. If he knew I was coming behind him, he would not have said he was a chief sinner. He said that Brian Wood who's coming is a lot worse than I am. What are you guys chuckling about? Well, maybe you guys are sinless perfectionists. I'm having fun with you a little bit. Loved ones, these words came from one of the greatest of all Christians, Paul. I mean, no doubt, Paul was a great man of God. But Paul saw his sin. David himself said that everywhere he goes, his sin is with him. He says, if I go anywhere, here comes my sin with me. Yeah, I know all about that. Paul confessed his failure of continuing to sin. Now back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word perfect in that verse, I wasn't going to leave you alone tonight and not tell you about that verse. That verse, perf, that, that verse has the word perfect in it. The word perfect comes from a Greek word, teleolio, if I'm pronouncing it right. Forget that, how to pronounce it. It literally means flawless or spotless, but literally means complete. I said that wrong. Strike that. Strike that from the record. The word perfect comes from a Greek word which does not mean flawless or spotless, but literally means complete. The translators, for whatever reason, put the word perfect in. I don't know why. They should have put the word complete. The word perfect was really a poor rendering of the original Greek language. So it's quite plausible to be complete without being entirely free from sin. Be complete because your Father in Heaven is complete. Now we possess the fullness and completeness of Jesus Christ that Paul spoke of in Ephesians 4.13. He said to a mature man which belongs to the fullness of Christ. For that matter, we can possess the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 says, Friends, the commands to strive by the grace of God for holiness and blameless are, to, are too numerous in scriptures. And although sinlessness is not experienced in this life, it still must be our aim. We can't achieve it. You and I sitting here tonight are complete. We're complete. But that completeness is the maturity that's still to come. Does that make sense? Did I lose you? <laughs> I might have lost you, huh? You could say, yeah, you lost me, or no, I get it. Does it make sense? Let me close by reading this. How many know who Charles Hodge is? The great theologian, Charles Hodge. When I do my bibliography and give you a copy of all the resources that I used for this whole entire study, Charles Hodge is going to be on that list. 
He has a systematic theology that's outstanding. By the way, he was a reformer, very reformed. <clears throat> he would call himself a Calvinist. So Charles Hodge, one-time president of Princeton Theological Seminary. That was a long time ago. Believe it or not, Princeton College or Princeton University had a theological seminary on its campus. Charles Hodge was a one-time president of that. And that was in 1850. He said this in uh, the three-volume reference set that I have on systematic theology. He said, sanctification removes more and more the principles of evil still infecting our nature until it controls the thoughts, feelings, and acts bringing the soul into conformity to the image of Christ. Is there ever a time in all, any of our lives where we'll ever reach perfection? No. Here's one reason why. We're still living in this corrupt flesh. We're still in these physical corrupted bodies. Sin is still enticing. Does that mean we don't aim for that? No. We want to allow God and His Spirit to conform us into the image of His Son, and we want to do everything in cooperation with Him to do that. Living in continued constant sin will not be the case. But when you sin and you confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness. Amen. Let's go to prayer. Father, we, we thank you once again. When I think about this process of sanctification, I am so grateful to you in my own life that this process is, is taking place because I really do get sick and tired of seeing my sin. The longer I walk with a holy, righteous God, the more that I spend time in your word and in prayer and the more time I spend in worship with the saints, I just see what a wretched soul I am. And I can't stand that. And so, Father, I'm grateful to know that I stand here tonight with my brothers and sisters in Christ and you are sanctifying us currently, presently, right now. We thank you for washing us with your blood and regenerating us and making us born again. And we thank you that the process of sanctification began and will continue to begin or continue on as it began in this progressive system. We love you and thank you, Father, to know that you so love us and that you want us to be holy and blameless like you are holy and blameless. May we be your people who will allow you to do what you must do in our lives. Help us to surrender and yield our wills to your will. May we Utter those same words that your precious son uttered. Not my will, but yours be done. 
Father, we thank you and love you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.